This is Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. I'm James Ramsey. And I'm Rachel Neal. All festival long, WNYC is bringing you exclusive coverage of the panels and talks featuring some of the biggest names in film today. Each day we'll hear conversations from Tribeca with people like Spike Lee, Janine Garofalo, Nate Silver, and a ton of others. Rachel, what do we got next? This is John Denver. What the heck is that? That is called the montage of heck. It's a 30-minute avant-garde sound collage that was put together by Kurt Cobain in 1988. Oh, yeah, that's I, I, I know. I, I think I read about that in a fanzine. <laughs> right. It's the name of a documentary that's screening at Tribeca this year. It's getting a ton of buzz. And on today's panel, we're going to hear from the film's director, Brett Morgan. And Courtney Love will also be on the panel. She is the film's executive producer. This is the first authorized documentary about Kurt Cobain since his death. And moderating this panel is Rolling Stone writer Neil Strauss. This is going to be a good one. It is, but first I want to hear Rocky Mountain High Demon Remix one more time. Thank you for that smattering of applause. We really appreciate it. And we're faced with two daunting tasks right now. One is to just even speak after that powerful and really moving movie. It's hard to say anything. I know Brett was off drinking, having some cocktails. Courtney was in and out and fixing her mascara afterwards. So the second daunting task is to actually for to moderate two people who probably don't have the word moderation in their vocabulary. And I say it in a loving and respectful way because they're not just artists, they're great visionaries. So thank you for being here. So my first, I just want to start off with this, sitting with you during the movie, what are you, I know you've seen it before, but what are you experiencing as you watch it today? Um, Today, this is my fourth time seeing it, I experienced some some shame this time, mostly I I get really sad when I've watched it before, but, you know, guilt and, um, you know, what I could have done, and it was just, just, I I said I wouldn't see it again, but I did, and it's kind of self punishing but it's such a beautiful movie so what was your reaction the first time the first time was getting to spend I was I saw it with Francis and just me and Brett and um it was beautiful because I I got to spend time with a little more time with Kurt and Francis and stuff yeah and let me ask you um Brett you you made this film in part for Francis and what was the message you wanted to convey well, when I met her the first time, um, we were sh- it became cl- we were shaking hands, and she said something along the lines of, "You know, I just met you, and I know you more than I know my father because I have no memories of him. I was 20 months old, and I n- sensed as a father that she, she had a very complicated relationship with Kurt, and um, I wasn't sure how much she knew or how much she didn't know, but in a way, I felt that there was an opportunity." to um, bridge the gap. And that's a lot more than you know, entertaining people, which is what I usually do. And, if, um, and I think you know, when, 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 I, when, I, when I showed her the film, when it was finished, she said, you know, thank you for giving me a couple hours with my father I never had. And, 
and um, it was, you know, I mean, what greater reward as a filmmaker could you possibly get than that sort of response? Um, so. Cool. There's some, some tissues or something. Someone can just bring those up. And, man, it's an intense movie, man. It is an intense movie. And, and one thing I really want to ask is having the courage to actually just let Brett go crazy in the storage lockers with all your material and just to trust him to do this film. Why? Why, why and how? Because I, I really like him and I trust him. And someone, I just want someone to tell the truth, you know? So, and, and you've majored in mythology, right? Okay. So there's a lot of myths. And I, I really wanted someone to tell the truth. And I didn't want to micromanage them. And he told me about a documentary he made with somebody, I won't say who, but someone micromanaged him. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't have any interest in it. And I knew, I'd seen the kid stays in the picture and I, I just knew he was the right guy. And I liked him a lot. I have to say, you know, I knew there would be a lot of questions about providence and, 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 and um, authorship on this film. And, you know, I almost challenge anyone in this room to right now hand me the keys to your house and your storage facility, and I'll see you in two years. Because what Courtney did was one of, uh, A, the most generous thing anyone's ever given to me as a filmmaker, which was absolute trust and respect. And, um, and uh, you know, I think it's, it was just a total, uh, completely courageous of you. And, and honestly, I wouldn't do it myself. Like, and I asked myself plenty of times, why did she do this? This is just nuts because it could have gone any direction. I mean, you know, and, um, but I always felt that maybe you just thought, fuck, there's nothing to hide. So there's, I mean, because I, I don't think people understand. This isn't like you had gone there before I got there to clean it up. No, I've never been there. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's, it's literally unheard of. And, and, I it's, mean, am, it's, and it's amazing how well you combed these materials. Cause I, Courtney was just telling me there's a little, there's a scene there where, where you and Kurt are in bed and you're like, I thought I recorded over that tape, but he found the two frames that still existed. Somehow Brett found the sex tape. <laughs> and and we, me and Kurt only had this one tape, and we could never figure out how to use the battery. And so we recorded it over and over and over on it. And everyone makes one sex tape once in their life. And so we did, and I thought, he'll never catch those frames. And he caught them. Sorry, that's bad. And... <laughs> One thing I want to ask you about is, is just the audio of, of Kurt talking about his first suicide attempt and what that was and where you found it and how you came across it. Okay, well, now, now we're here and we're here. We can, I could just be honest about this, okay, and tell this story. Okay. So you gave me, and I say this, it's, I'm, I'm obviously need all these people here before I could say this. Okay. But so you gave me permission to go into this place to, and the, I remember the language was something, I looked at it over and over again. It was to like photograph and document what was right. in there for the purpose of the film. But it didn't say anything about audio. Right. A, and... Um, and I and no one had told me that there was a box of cassettes. The nice tapes. Yeah, the, or yeah, the montage tapes. Montage tapes. Yeah, and and when we were going through the facility, we found this box and said, 
cassettes and I open it up and there are 200 cassettes and I was like is this part of our agreement I don't know but I'm you know I'm just I'm, I'm here so I should just take advantage of the moment and um, so we got two Pro Tools systems over and some cassette decks and by the way it is so hard to find a cassette deck in Los Angeles these days it's really insane and um, and we started transferring and the goal the rule was because this is historic archival material that um, once you put a tape in, you had to transfer the whole thing. You couldn't put forward or stop or whatever. And so I put headsets on and went through the task of transferring the 200 hours, 200 plus hours. And um, some of it was, is not uh, obviously very little in the film, but a lot of stuff of you and Kurt jamming. That right. was an amazing insight into your dynamic right. with him. Um, and, um, and then we would stumble upon things like the Beatles and I loved her. And I remember asking you and Chris and Tracy, like, has anyone heard this? And nobody had like heard it. It was crazy. And then I found the, the audio recording he did about the first sexual encounter. And what was you, remarkable about that was Kurt had done some spoken word stuff, but he, he was really sort of, he was always laughing through it and sort of spitting it out and not really performing it. But that one, that one stood out because he was, he was well, A, the content, and, and he was actually performing it, which I found kind of chilling. And, um, and it, it, you know, I remember looking at, as I heard it, the first time looking down at the tape thing to see, is, is this going to go all the way through his life? Like, where is Because you know, I'm thinking, start to hear it. He's talking about And, uh, yeah, and I just thought it was uh, such an important piece of the story and something that, amazingly had sort of sat there for from what I figured was probably from 1988 on you never heard that right Courtney no I mean the retarded girl story I don't know if it's the truth but maybe uh, I, I well I you know it's funny you say that because there's a shot in there I know exactly what by the train tracks by right? the train tracks yeah because I, I always looked at it this way I don't know if it's the story is true or not but I, I felt the experience was true do you know what I mean? So how fascinating is it to this whole, you know, in the New York Times online edition, at least the headline with demytho- de- this whole demythologizing idea, when even people mythologize themselves, is it possible to even get to the truth? Well, I th- my, my feeling, and I said this in the introduction, is, um, is that, you know, if you, you know, you, you could, because Kurt would, and you could talk to this probably better than anyone, self-mythologize his life quite a bit. Sure. I mean, to be... To want to be a rock star, you gotta. I do it. I mean, anybody I know that Neil's dealt with lots of rock stars, we do it. That's kind of our thing. Uh, did you tell? Did you tell me at some point that you guys used to compete about who had the worst childhood? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, <laughs> we would do the Dickens thing, and you know, I mean, it, it stopped. Uh, yeah, uh, a little too intimate, but but yeah, we would compete about who had the worst childhood. Yeah. Yes. So I think that like. Um, you know, what I found was I, I, I listened to all the interviews Kurt had ever done, um, you know, and then I was looking at all this material in the storage facility and the audio, and I felt such a disconnect between the voice, the cadence and the texture of the voice as filtered through the media versus the unfiltered voice. And so it became clear at that point that to trust, to try to get to the core, to rely on the art to tell the story. And there's very few people you can make a film like this with because, you know, Kurt was so prolific across so many different forms of media that in a way he created this oral and visceral autobiography of his experience of life. 
And, and to me, that felt much more honest than having him sort of talking to a journalist. Um, because as you know, Neil, we all... No one's honest with journalists. No one's honest Let's just face it. Well, that's they what tell I was a trying version, to say. A, version, a small sliver of the truth. It goes back to Bob Dylan and yeah. him writing the train tracks, which he never did. But right. It's sort of the tradition. This is Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. Coming up after the break, we'll hear more from Brett Morgan and Courtney Love on the new film, Montage of Heck. So, so, and I'm also so curious, and by the way, to go back to what you said earlier, you wanted somebody to tell the truth. How close do you feel this is, and just be honest, since Brett was honest earlier, how close do you feel this is to as close as a documentary can get to the truth or as close as the story can I get to the truth? I think Brett spent a lot of time with Kurt's spirit, and I think his spirit definitely comes out, which is why I keep coming back for more punishment and didn't go eat, you know, while this is playing. Um, you know, I get to see this beautiful man I was married to 21 years ago, and and spend a little time with him, it's really sad, and it brings up different emotions, and it, it's, 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 it's heavy, but it, I think it's as close to the truth as anyone's ever going to get, you know? And, and if you maybe had the material of the footage, or you maybe had a, more of a say in it, is there something you would have done differently or changed? No, 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 really? no, 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 no. It's, this is Brett's movie, and I want it to be, you know, about Kurt, and yeah. I want to ask you, Brad, I'm curious that when I, when I go, when I write a book with somebody, I really, and I feel like you did this here, I try to see the world through their eyes. And what's so great about this is you really come close to, as close as you can to seeing the world through someone else's eyes. How blurred did that line get? How, how much, you know, wading through all that and trying to empathize to that degree? This was, this was, uh, this felt personal. All films are personal, but I've spent, most of my career making films about older men and their life and people in their, you know, who came of age in the 30s and 40s and 50s like Mick Jagger and, and, um, and uh, Bob Evans. And uh, I, w- I found myself amazed at how much I was relating to with Kurt. And, um, and uh, it, it felt in many ways like the first sort of documentary of the first sort of, I hate to say this word, but the first sort of Gen X documentary because most people are still writing out their script. But, um, and I, it just felt like a, if it felt like a film about Kurt, but a film about our whole generation. You know, and there's this thing that I remember feeling like where Kurt's parents were five years older, they would have probably never got divorced. And if they were five years younger, they would have never got married. So it's very specific, and you're and I are probably this close in age. I still have some, but I don't know. And um, and um, and it just felt, I, I, you know, I knew the, all of those cultural influences and and those feelings, and the the the, the 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 you know, it just felt very personal. Even though, and it's weird, man. It's weird to talk about for me to talk about Kurt. I have to do these interviews where they, ask, I don't, I didn't know Kurt. You know, it's obvious. We're in the hallway, and people are coming up to you and asking you like questions as if you're his representative. Uh, it's, it's very bizarre. It's the worst position to right. be in, you know, and, but, but in a way, it's a uh. great... <laughs> <laughs> it is a good... It is an interesting way to get to know someone, though, because it's through primary sources. And in a way, I remember Chris saying to me, and I don't know if you could speak to this about your relationship with Kurt... 
But Chris and Tracy both said that Kurt never really talked about things. And Chris said that the first time he heard, he knew that Kurt had problems as a kid was when he heard him talking about it in an interview. Right. And that made sense to me because when you're 22 or 21 or 18 and you're drinking beer with your, your friends, you're not like, hey, man, I'm really threatened by ridicule, you know? Right. And, and, so, <laughs> and there were even things that some of his um, – Peers, close friends of his said to me that, you know, where their sort of feelings of him were defined by things he said. And I was like, I felt in a way it was a, it gave me really an amazing access just to get to know him through his primary materials, you know. It's a, a you know, really unique experience. But how, I'm curious, Courtney. What? How, um, how much did you, did, how open was he with you about totally. feelings? We were best feelings. friends. I mean, we were best friends. And we were, we were best friends. And, you know, I mean, I've had great boyfriends since. But, you know, I mean, best friends. Never have another friend like that. I, I remember being, and I say this um, with all due respect, that watching the footage of you guys... There was something that, you know, it, it, to me, captured love at that age. At that age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's that drunk, punch-drunk love thing. You know what I mean? Where you've met your soulmate and you're 25 and you're just fucking and you're talking and fighting and fucking. So there's other kinds of love and more mature kinds of love. But, um, no, with, with, with him, it was, that was... That's what it was like—a soulmatey thing, you know. Is, is there anything that that you're seeing in the movie that we may not may not have noticed or seen that just means a lot to you in this movie that we're sort of bypassing or not seeing or getting? Um, uh, no, nothing I want to talk about. <laughs> Especially that thing. <laughs> yeah. Afterward. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think uh, it speaks for itself. I think Brett did a fantastic job. And what I really, my biggest thing I'm curious about for you of everything is it really is a miracle to take all these different parties that are just involved of family and band members. I already see you bracing yourself for another drink. How do you, I mean, you really pulled off the impossible in terms of getting everyone to be on board with this, with so many lawsuits, court cases, this person hates that person, then they don't. I don't know how you did it. Well, I was, I was switch, you know, you're Switzerland, but I really think it was Frances. You know, I think she was, uh, I, I, you know, I think when Courtney and I first started talking about this film in 2007, I, looking back, and I don't know if we would have ever been able at that, at that time to have got the full cooperation of, you know, Wendy and Don and Chris and Dave. And there was a tsunami of shit in the middle. And, you know, and I caused most of it, <laughs> but it's, it's all smooth now. So, uh, yeah, it's felt like, like when we called Don for an interview and, and, you know, if, if people may not know this, but Wendy and Don and Kim have never been on camera before. And, and, and Tracy, Tracy, well, right? Tracy, right. She'd been in, she'd been on camera, but um, not in a while. She, she, and, and and the question was always, you know, is, I remember Dawn said, is Francis involved? And I'd like to speak to her about it. And, and she got on the phone with him. And um, and so I, I really feel like everybody wanted to come on board. 
um, and even people who had materials, who I'm sure there are some in this room. And, and Neil, can I just take a moment? Because I, be, I would be remiss. I know there are some very important people who worked on the film in the room tonight. Um, and I'm going to forget almost everyone, but I, I just have to acknowledge two people really please, quickly. Please. Uh, Joe Beshenkovsky, uh editor. Uh, Joe, can you just stand up real quick? And Jessica Berman Bogdan, the archivist. I, I, I think you're both in the room. If you are, I don't even mean to embarrass you. Uh, I can't see anything out there. So if you're out there, you guys, yeah. Well, give us some applause anyway, right? Fucking awesome. And dude. also, this will be airing on HBO if you want to see it again on May 4th, I believe, on HBO. If you Well, more, you can also have it in New York. It will be opening uh, Friday at the IFC Center. And I highly, see it the theater. I, I highly encourage people, if they can, to try to get out and see it in the cinema before it's on HBO because it is a sort of, you know, Kurt did ex work so um, intensely with, with audio, and the sound design in this film is his. I mean, we, we cut it up and edited it, but that's Kurt's sound design. And you go before every screening and make sure the audio is right in the room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I, here's, I'll, I'll tell you what, since we're, yeah. we're about to open up for audience questions, but here's a question that I wasn't going to ask, but I'm thinking, so I'm just going to friggin' ask it since we've been really honest here. And I want to ask, A, if this was intentional, and B, if you kind of saw it, but like, okay, Kurt's mom... Wendy has this kind of, you know, resentment that she gave up her life and career to marry Don. Then there's a moment when you're in the bathroom. By the way, I can see that bathroom scene is going to be recreated in dramas forever now. Uh, but there's a moment when you're in the bathroom saying, you know, I gave up this for this marriage. Did you purposely make that a parallel or see any parallels between relationships? Oh, well, I'm whining that I can't play Reading with my boobs out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And his oh. mother saying, oh, I gave up this for... Oh. Okay. I was curious that I'm just noticing that. that you're telling us a little bit something about yourself tonight, yeah, Neil. You're projecting. Yeah, you're projecting. Well, here's, here, here's, the, here's the thing, which is this. I think that it's, you can't, it's impossible to see anyone else objectively. We have the filters through which we see them. So what I was thinking when watching this is shame and ridicule was your big theme for, for Kurt that you was really important. I know that was important to him, but to what degree was that paralleled by your own experience? Me personally? Yeah. Um... Well, I, just, I couldn't speak until I was five, and I was in speech therapy until I was 16. So, I mean, I used to go to school throughout elementary school, and, you, you know, you could sort of follow the script on that. But um, uh, there were, yeah, I mean, you know, when you make a film about someone else, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're ultimately drawn to certain things in that person's life that are relatable to you. Exactly. And so, I mean, I hate to see it sound cheeky, but these films are as much about me as they are about the subject. And sometimes it's conscious, and sometimes it's, it's, it's subconscious. You know, I, I, I'm not Kurt, and I'm not Bob Evans, and I'm not in the Rolling Stones, but, the, 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 you know, if you do a film on uh, Kurt or a film on the Stones, right. you're going to be drawn to certain stuff. Like when you did The Dirt, when you did The Dirt, obviously that's close <laughs> that was my life. That yeah. was your life. So, no, because I was fast, and you called out exactly, like, my issue as the narcissistic mother. So I was really noticing the narcissistic mother. You picked up on the ridicule of the father. What narcissistic Whoa, mother? What ma What's that? Wow, Neil. What's that? What are you talking about, about Neil? Gosh, I, yeah, Neil. <laughs> I know. You still want to stay friends with her. Okay, let's open it up to uh, questions from the audience. Did I just ruin everything? Is this, is this no, the last no, show No, 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 no. You're totally cool. Okay, no, cool. Keep... They deny it. Okay, cool. This is Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. Coming up after the break, we'll hear more from Brett Morgan and Courtney Love on the new film, Montage of Heck.
Let's uh, open up to some questions from the audience. We went too far. Hello? Yes. Hello? Yes, Courtney, in those intimate moments that you had the, uh, the bathroom scene with you, the baby, and Kurt, you had, did you have the camera on a tripod? <laughs> oh, or did no. You have this is weird. Um, I'm going to actually let Brett explain this, but I had this member of my band named Eric Erlinson, and Eric, I, I kind of used to date Eric, and then Eric would come over to our house, and he would shoot really intimate stuff of me and Kurt. So when you really realize, and I, I love Eric, he's a great friend, but when you realize it's Eric shooting that, it's kind of... Creepy. Yeah, creepy. okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, well, that creeped I, me I out because, yeah. because I, he came over and he said, I have this tape, but I don't know what's on it. And can you get a hi-eight deck? Another thing that's difficult to get these days. And we got, um, we got a hi-eight deck and he came over and we were screening it. And there was... Um, forgive me, Eric, if he ever hears this, but there was part of me that had to like downplay how excited I was to see the tape because I didn't want to get jacked. So I was like, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at one point I stopped when it was like you guys in the bathroom. I go, I'm sorry, what's your relationship to them? I'm a little confused. And he goes, well, I used to go out with Courtney. And I was like, oh, that's fucking weird, man. I was like, and, and it, you know what was weird too, which always bugged me out a little bit, is that I would think like this, like... If Kurt, like, if you two are together and I'm Eric, right, and I'm the ex-boyfriend, like, either my thought would be you would either be very possessor, you know, like, like this is my girl, or like totally not wanting to touch her because you didn't want to make him uncomfortable. But Kurt kind of was neither. It was like as if Eric. I mean, it was really interesting. That's just that, the way Eric is. Yeah. You know? Sort of. Yeah. Wow. He's Eric. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. All right, next question. <laughs> this is awesome, by the way. This is so fucking awkward and intimate. It's, okay. it's awkward. <laughs> I you button your nails through half of it. I, so it's I thought you were going to ask her specific stuff. About, I mean, it was like 25 no, years ago. No, let's get another ago. question. Let's like, get another yeah. question. Yeah. All right, yeah. Blue shirt dude with a mustache. <laughs> right. Blue shirt dude. <laughs> um, great film, everybody. Um, thanks a lot. And uh, I'm really curious what kept... Uh, Dave Grohl from uh, appearing in the film and how close he came to being interviewed for the film, if ever. Yeah, you know, it's not a talking head movie. It's not a film about Nirvana. And, I, I, you know, my inspiration for the interviews was the movie Lenny, the Bob Posse film. And if you remember that film, it's very primal. There's only, like, the mother, the, the manager, and the, the girlfriend. And I, didn't, I, I wanted to keep it as intimate as possible. So I didn't need... I didn't feel the need for multiple members of Nirvana, like Chad. Nobody ever asked about Chad. I'm going to get a shirt that said, what about Chad? Right, right, poor Chad. Why is everyone asked about Dave? Nobody asked about Chad. Um, and so I went to, but, but that said, I'd never, I didn't want to be at a Q&A and have to answer this question all the time. So, um, so you know, and if, I asked management for an interview in April of 94, uh, Jesus, um, in April, sorry, April 20th, whenever it was. I asked for an interview with, with Chris and Dave, and, D and Dave was busy doing his album, which is fine. And I was fine with that. And I locked picture on the film, and I didn't feel like there was anything needed. Like, I felt like the story was complete. And then three weeks after I locked picture, um, Dave was finished promoting his album, and he was available for an interview. It was like two weeks before Sundance. 
And this movie is like a house of cards. You know, it's like you pull one thing out and it's very complicated. It, it, you know, we spent a long time trying to get it here. So I was like, all right, we'll try, you know, and we did the interview and it was, you know, it was, Dave was great and awesome, but it was like, I couldn't do what I'd already done. And is there something he said that you wanted, that you wish you could sandwich in somehow? If there was something that would, I, I would have changed the movie, you know, but, but I, we went to Sundance and it had a wonderful response. We went to the Berlin Film Festival and it had a wonderful response. And then I, I still had pressure to go back and put it in. So I went back after Berlin to try to cut it in. And in the interim, I had lost that thing when you're making a movie and you're like, you're the, you're heartbeat is one with the movie. I'm not sound cheesy, Neil, but you know, when you're like totally connected, you can watch our movie four times a day. I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, so I couldn't evaluate. I just lost my ability to evaluate it at that point. And I felt like there was like, you know, sometimes when people ask me about Dave, I'm like, well, is there something that you feel is missing about like Kurt? Like that you wish someone said about Kurt because it's about Kurt, you know? And, um, and, and I just, I, I look at the film now and short of having to field these questions, I'm very happy with the I mean, the people who are talking are the same people who would have been by Kurt's side if he was, you know, an uh, electrician in Aberdeen, you know? Well, Courtney might not have. Uh, I wouldn't have I mean, ended in up sense, an electrician in Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Neither would he, so. Wait, was there anything you found that you just left out for reasons of just sensitivity or was just too much? You're like, I don't know if I want Francis to see this. I'm going to sound like a jerk if I say no, but no. Right. I mean, I just felt like Frances said, be honest. Right. And she was the, you know, I showed her the film, and I was like, it's funny, Kurt's one of these people, and I don't know how you deal with this, because everybody feels possessive over Kurt, you know, like right. people who never met him, fans, and, and I just felt, look, it, the, 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 the license goes to next of kin, and Frances, if she's comfortable with it, then everybody should, what right do I, you know, so, I, you know, I showed her the film and she said, don't touch a frame. And um, there's stuff that made me uncomfortable for sure. The haircutting scene right. was, you know, made me incredibly uncomfortable watching that. But I felt it was important. Had she seen footage of her with her father before? Uh, yeah, there's uh, some stuff on the Internet that got leaked uh, from, uh, from a tape that called Farts Equal Funny. And... Uh, some of, some of that, a little tiny bit got that got reused in this film, but not most of this is, it's as he says, 85% unseen. Let's take another question. Yeah, let's do that. Great. Um, lady in the back, you. Yes. See, I'm alphaing you guys. No, yes, you're out alphaing us. <laughs> I'm over my shy moment. Awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, I just want to say that... Um, I just think you're you're so uh, generous, <laughs> and it's it's really inspiring and so courageous. Um, and uh, I loved the film, and um, I loved the animation and those animated scenes of of, of Kurt alone. And um, I was wondering if you could both talk about that, the, the process with that, and feelings about it. Yeah, really quickly, there's two types of animation in the film. There's the representations of Kurt, and then there's the journals. The journals and all of Kurt's artwork were done by a brilliant artist named Stefan Nadelman, who I think is the best uh, motion graphics artist in, in that I've ever experienced. Um, 
and and we spent about like eight months, maybe to a year, trying to get the style right because it, this film felt very analog. It needed to be analog, like it's not digital. Kids and pictures very digital, but this felt very analog. And um, and because of that time, I was in the storage facility, and I kept thinking. Like, well, at any second, you and Francis could change your mind. So I was going really, I was just trying to shoot the pages. As, and we, would do, we were shooting on an animation stand. So all Stefan had to work with was a, one photograph at a 90-degree angle straight down with one-to-one -one lighting. And, you know, the, but the way I think of photo animation is no different than a director walking onto a sound stage and the set's there. But there's no lights, and the camera hasn't been placed. And you could take that same set and turn it into a haunted house, or you could take that same set and turn it into Morning in America. And, um, and so we took every page. We must have done 20, up to 20, 30 passes um, to try to get the right tone and the right grain and the right texture and the right lighting to, to, to give it the emotional resonance it needed. And the other stuff, the representations of Kurt, were done by a brilliant Dutch artist named Hiskel Hussing, and um, um, uh, he had done a movie called Junkyard, and um, he does everything by hand. He did 6,000 drawings um, and 58 oil paintings to get that look. Um, and uh, the editors, all of us spent a, a, a great amount of time, like the scene at Tracy's apartment, that audio was, we took two months to cut before we gave that scene to, to Hisko. Amazing, let's do another question. And I second Just what you said <laughs> about Courtney. She's like uh, the most courageous woman, you know, outside of sort of my wife that I, I've. It's very nice. Thank awesome. You. Let's do it. Uh, why don't you guys with the mics just hand it to the person who's next so, so we don't have to wait for you guys to run across the room. Awesome. Hi. Um, I'm just curious uh, when they talked about uh, Kurt starting his addiction, it was due to self-medication for stomach problems. What kind of stomach problems was he going through? Um, I, I want to answer that. Um, he had um, something really wrong with him. Um, we, we had really nascent young management at the time around us. Um, they were really ir irresponsible um, it, it, to, to an extent. I don't think that they meant to be, but they were. Um, I think he should have been taken to the Mayo Clinic or whatever, but we did have Cedar sinai available to us, so he went there several times for Crohn's disease, um, endoscopies, um, a biopsy, um, over and over and over again. And when people discount his stomach issues, uh, as his manager once fatefully did and was across the hall from me in Dublin when Kurt started puking up bile and I grabbed him by his hair and his name is John. And I said, John, you think it's fake? Come look at this. I was so mad. And, uh, and it, 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 it didn't matter if it was a bad day or a good day. Um, it could be the greatest day. He'd start puking. I, I, I don't know what it was. I, I, Cobain's disease. Well, when, because Wendy also told me that she suffered. She from said she had it. I, I know. She, but then, and then one, one day when Frances was little, she had to take her to the hospital for her stomach. I'm like, oh, my God. It never happened again. But I was like, is this going to be a thing? You know, and, and it was a very, very real thing, that chronic pain with him. Very real. Awesome. You had a question right there. I loved, I loved the movie. It was amazing. It was raw and real, and, and that, that's always the best. And I have a question for Courtney. Is that Joe the editor? <laughs> Are you Joe, is that Joe talking? No. Oh, you know, whoever's speaking, just stand up so we I'm can sorry. see you. We like seeing who's speaking. Great. 
Um, Not Joe. I was wondering, Courtney, you've lived a good long life of very unabashedly being who you are, and that's awesome. And do you find it easier to, um, more satisfying to sometimes censor who you are or to take the backlash for being just just who you are? Do you find What do you find more satisfying? I, I don't understand your question. Is it easier to sometimes, because in this movie, you're, it's going to draw a lot of, it might draw a lot of criticism from people on YouTube that think they know anything about art or you or anything. Right. Criticism from people on YouTube. Watch out, guys. By the way, no one thinks about themselves like you're saying they think themselves. That's the way people outside someone's mind think about themselves. No, no offense to the question, but it's fascinating to hear you say it. I want to say a discussion we had beforehand. I was watching this movie. Oh, this is funny. What we said. It's funny. So then you can hold your... No, so, hold your but, so I was saying, like, you know, it's great to watch this movie because you're like that, the, you know, the anger and the rage and the... And, uh, and all the emotions Kurt's, Kurt's going through with, is really relatable to a lot of people. I was thinking, where is that voice in where's the angry popular young, culture? Young where, where's, that ang- where's that anger? And we came to the conclusion that it was trolls. Internet trolls. They, they get out of their system by just being internet trolls. That's, that's what it is. It's a shame because it's really hurting creativity. Yeah. <laughs> trolls are hurting trolls. art. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. Let's take, let's take a – I think – did you have something to say about that? Can I say something about yeah. YouTube and criticism? <laughs> oh, God. I, I, now, I'm going to compliment Courtney here on something of made very different. There's some major distinction between you and Kurt. I don't think anybody – I am so in awe of the way that you, this shit just rolls off of you because, I mean, Courtney has been maligned and abused and thrashed and battered for no – fucking reason in the media and it really i'm so glad it's it's stopped or it's 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 ceased because uh, like i remember there's some like everything gets misconstrued and i remember one day there was this terrible thing i i did some interview and it was misquoted terribly and i was in a panic i was i was i was just beside myself i was so embarrassed to talk to you and i remember like i i said i finally called you and you're like oh and like just rolled off of you and like i just, I'm in awe of that ability you have and the confidence in yourself to sort of not be, you know, finish my <laughs> sentence there. <laughs> just to be awesome and to roll on with life despite. But you know what? Everybody who's a public figure, no matter what, and I think is what you try to do with this movie, who you are it's the moment you're in the public eye at all, who you are starts to diverge from what people think you are. And those paths just divert. They diverge and diverge and diverge. It doesn't mm. matter whether, whether it's Courtney or like Gwyneth Paltrow or Kurt Cobain or Axl Rose. It doesn't matter who it is. It's true of every single person. Eventually you accept that maybe you will not be known. And I think you've done a good job of making somebody known. Yeah. So, so maybe we'll, we'll end it on that Conclude note. Conclude on yeah. that. Yeah, we'll sure. end it on that note. So thank you guys for being here. And thank you, Brett, for a fantastic movie. Thank, thank you, you, Courtney, Brett. for coming here. Thank you, HBO. This is Tribeca Film Festival Live from WNYC. On the next episode, we'll hear from Nate Silver of 538 about his new film chronicling the unlikely rise of wrestler-turned-Minnesota governor Jesse Ventura.